everyone. Thanks for joining us on Asking for a Friend, a podcast for women created by New Hope Community Church. The phrase and hashtag, Asking for a Friend, is used in sarcasm after asking an embarrassing question, indicating that it's so awkward it must be asked under the guise of a helpful friend. This discussion group was born out of a desire to talk openly about things that are often considered taboo or stay hidden in general, but especially in the church. Statistics show that the issues we will cover affect women within the church as much as those who don't consider themselves churchgoers, so let's talk about them. The first and very simple purpose of this group is to let women know that they are not alone. Across social media and even in person, we always show the best of ourselves, leading us to believe that nobody else has the same struggles as we do. This is such a lonely feeling and only leads to discouragement. This is a lie that we hope to expose by the time our discussion is over. Also, studies show that one of the reasons current generations don't consider going to church is that the church is not open to messy discussions and believe that Christians think they have all the answers. The second purpose of this discussion group is to show that this group of women admits we don't have simple solutions to life's questions, and we recognize that we never arrive but will be working through these issues during our lifelong journey. The third purpose of this group is to give practical suggestions and spiritual counsel to others based on the experience of our guests and the resources we've put together. Specifically, we will recommend resources from Right Now Media, a video resource library called the Netflix of Bible Studies. For your free access, text right now, space, N-H-C-C-M-N to 41411. As we listen to one another's stories and are bold in sharing our own, we can create a community where we are all fully known and fully loved. Because this is a safe space and the issues are sensitive, we will not be sharing the names of our guests. If you have questions about a particular guest or story, please contact us and we will connect you. All right, so in today's discussion, uh, we're going to talk about abortion and the Christian's response. The title is Neither Do I Condemn You, and it's based on the verse John 8, 22 through 11. And this is talking about the woman at the well, and um, it's a great story. She's had five husbands, and the person she's living with now is not her husband. And, you know, Jesus, knowing everything, knows her story. And when he speaks to her, I found it very interesting. I learned that um, this is the longest conversation recorded with an individual between Jesus and an individual is the woman at the well. And he's very gracious with her, very respectful, and it was unheard of for Jesus, a Jewish man, to talk to this sinful woman. So, but at the end of it, you know, all of the people who were judging her and accusing her, that's not the woman at the well. This is the woman caught in adultery. I just mixed up my stories of sinful women. Oh, I was going with the well. Well, the well is good too, but this John is talking about the woman caught in adultery. Well, check out the woman at the well. That's good, too. Anyway, this woman caught in adultery, okay? So she's literally caught in the act of sin, and they bring her out, and, you know, the religious people are telling Jesus, you know, well, what are you going to do about this? Kind of as a test to see if they can trap him. And 
he, we don't know what he writes, but he writes something in the sand and people walk away one by one. And some people think that he was writing their sins in the sand and it led them to walk away. And so he says, well, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he said, then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. So I think that's a beautiful picture of grace, you know, but then the challenge, go and sin no more. Um, so it's based off of those verses in John 8, 2 through 11. Some of the Right Now Media resources that I'll be recommending is Making Life Disciples. And I think Gina will mention CareNet is a great um, organization that, that she uh, recommends and works with. And then uh, there's one called The Secret Church, Christ, Culture, and a Call to Action. And I really enjoy watching some of those videos uh, of that gentleman talking about, about the church and pro-life and things like that. As we listen to one another's stories and are bold in sharing our own, we can create a community where we are all fully known and fully loved. Because this is a safe space and the issues are sensitive, we will not be sharing the names of our guests. If you have questions about a particular guest or story, please contact us and we will connect you. So we are going to share the name of our guest on the phone. Uh, we have Gina Kennedy, who is the director of the Pregnancy Resource Center in Cambridge. And we're just going to ask her. Um, Pregnancy Resource Center is one of our official partners, I guess. We have, I think, 15 local, local organizations that we partner with. Um, and I want to mention, too, that they had to do their fundraiser um, digital, you know, online this year instead of their in-person banquet. And so on Christmas Eve, when New Hope takes our offering here at church, we'll be giving those donations to the Pregnancy Resource Center so, to support their mission. So I'll put the link for that in the comments, too, and want to give you guys the opportunity to support this, um, this organization if you'd like to. But let's, Gina, if you just want to share a little bit about what you do at Pregnancy Resource Center. Sure. Hopefully everyone can hear me. And I'm really grateful that I get to join you tonight via telephone. So I really appreciate that. Um, the Pregnancy Resource Center is a Christian nonprofit organization that works within the community around reproductive health, but also parenting, education, and resources. Um, helping anybody who has any kind of an issue just find the proper resources within this community. And so we love serving people. We love partnering with New Hope to make sure that we can get that message out. And I'm super excited that we're addressing this topic tonight because it's one of the ones we deal with that is rarely discussed or talked about. So really glad that we're addressing it tonight. Yeah. Yep. And I think... I mean, we'll just jump in. We were, you know, talking before we went live here, um, but about how interesting it is that this is always considered like one of the worst sins, or like abortion is considered one of the greatest sins that you can commit. Um, and I want to mention the official stance of New Hope is that we are pro-life, and so this isn't, you know, to gloss over, you know, sin and just say that we don't have to treat this. Can you hear me? Um, yep, I hear it says it's good. Somebody says it's good. Uh-oh, I think she can't hear us. <laughs> um, so we don't want to gloss over sin, but we do want to 
address the fact that abortion is always considered a greater sin, and that's something that hasn't changed pretty much in the history of the church ever since this became an issue. And one of the the numbers that I found is a recent LifeWay study showed that four out of 10 women who have abortions are attending a church at the time, but only 7% of them talk to anyone in their church about their decision. When asked why, many of them said that they feared judgment from people at their church. And I just think that's so sad that four out of 10 women are at church involved in this place that should be a community of support. Um, and they were in such fear of judgment that only 7% mentioned anything about it to their church or church leadership. And so I think that's really unfortunate because when people in the church have other issues, they're willing to come to the church and ask for help, you know, grief and loss and, and marriage problems and things like that. But this is so taboo. It's like, I could never talk to my church about it. And that, you know, hurts my heart as a Christian person, but as someone who works at a church. And so, you know, I'm so glad we got to have this discussion. It's one of the ones that I felt was the most important, you know, when I started thinking about this group. Um, And then I was talking about how when we look at the life of Jesus and who he warns about hell, it's not the broken and hurting people, it's the religious people. And it's the religious people that he rebukes because they're trying to hide their sin and making other people feel bad about their sin. And so that's just an interesting observation. I also wanted to read Matthew 7, 1 through 5. If you guys want to write that down or pull it out. It says, um, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And I stole this from Pastor Bill's office just now. Um, Sherry, don't tell him <laughs> if you're watching. But it says Matthew 7, 2 through 5, and I remember, you know, there was another series that we were doing a while ago, and Bill gave out little sticks of wood to everybody with that verse written on because, you know, we're so quick to judge other people and see their sin as worse than ours. But one of the other um, things that I have here is in Matthew 5, Jesus says that lust is the same as adultery and hatred is the same as murder. And so we all need to take a good hard look at ourselves before we say, oh, let me help you with that speck in your eye. And it's like, you know what? <laughs> I, say to, I say to my oldest daughter, mind your business. You know, when she's trying to get involved, you know, I'm talking to the little one. I say, Grace, just mind your business. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, something to remember is the, the Matthew 7 verses. And then just two more verses quick I wanted to read. Um, Romans 3, 21 to 24 says, But now apart from the law of righteousness of God uh, has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. So all have sinned and all can be justified. That means made right. 
um, with God because of because of Christ Jesus, because of that redemption. And so, you know, I think about these two groups of people, the sinners and the saints. It's like, no, all have sinned and all can be justified. And then, you know, I just think this is a beautiful picture. Psalm 32, verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And it's like, you know, we talk about your sin will be white as snow. And it's like we think about this blot that we perceive, and it's like it's covered. So I just think that's a great picture as we start out our discussion. Um, so I think we're just going to start, uh, I'd like to start kind of way at the beginning, like the house that you grew up in, was it very strict? Was it high warmth? They say, you know, um, what, did you grow up in a Christian home? What was your upbringing like? I don't know if you want to start. Want me to start? Sure. <clears throat> um, I grew up in a home that was very loving. I had very loving parents, um, three brothers. I was the only girl. But my father um, was a very high executive in a very large corporation, um, manufacturing corporation in the Midwest, which if I told you all the name, you would all know right away. And so the, um, the city that we lived in was the headquarters, but it also had the factories in it as well. So there was um, a mixed... Um, as I went to school, there was a mixture of kids whose um, you know, parents worked in the factories all the way up until the highest executive level of which my father was. So um, I'm telling you that because even though it was a very loving household um, and we had everything anybody could ever want, there was definitely very high expectations mm-hmm. on... Um, how they perceived that all of us kids should be, and especially I felt that being the only daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that brought on a lot of difficulties in a lot of different ways, which they, they never really, I don't think my parents really understood that they, that I felt that I was in a different mm-hmm. category than my brothers and the yeah. expectations were even bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as religion, we... Um, We attended church um, irregularly. My mother was more into it than my father, Um, but he traveled so much, so he wasn't home very often. So when he came home on a weekend, he didn't want to go to church. So we were Episcopalian, and to be honest with you, my very first memories from church are... um, of being absolutely scared to death to go to church. Mm -hmm. Um, Up until I was probably probably in my teens, the thought of church scared me. Mm -hmm. It was a dark old building downtown. Um, I didn't know anybody, and my mom just took me down there, and I was a very shy child. I know that's probably hard for you to (laughs) imagine. Yeah, I was very shy, and um, and so I was scared. And everything was such pomp and circumstance, mm-hmm. and so heavy. And mm-hmm. you know, I would, you know, the priest dressed in robes and all of that, and the incense that would go on, and it had to be so quiet. And wow, mm-hmm. 
And my and the other thing that was kind of odd was that my mom, um, and she said this all all the way through her life, was if anything ever happened to to you, she would say, "Well, God's getting you back for for doing for doing that." So that made me scared too. I thought, but as I got even a little bit older, I thought, "I'm not buying into that." <laughs> yeah. So that was my upbringing. Yeah. Common, I think. Very religious. Mm -hmm. Well, I grew up in a divorced home. My mom and dad were divorced when I was like five years old. And the man that moved in was the father of my three sisters after me. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom was very loving, but an alcoholic. And um, we did not go to church. I, I don't know that the woman was ever in a church except for when I got married. But I somehow found a way to get to church even when I was very young. I would go, I've probably been to every religion that's out there simply because that was someone that would take me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I learned very young who Jesus was, and I learned very young what sin was. and, And then as I grew older, God became somebody I pulled off a shelf when I needed him. Um, but I knew that we all sin, and back in the day, I, I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I just knew that if I needed God, He would be there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to ask another question, and then we'll I'll have Gina talk a little bit. Um, my next question is: What was the journey that led you up to this situation? Um, what was going on in your life before this happened? Um, can you identify anything that made you at risk, you know, for an unwanted pregnancy, lack of education, um, lack of self-esteem, abusive relationship, anything like that? Can you identify thing that kind of made you at risk for an unwanted pregnancy? Well, I actually got pregnant in high school. And I gave birth to a baby girl. Um, I graduated in June. She was born the next January. Who is still? I still have her. Took care of her. Um, and then when I became an alcoholic, just like all the rest of my relatives, mm-hmm. and my self esteem was not there. I think I searched for a father figure in my life, mm-hmm. and. Unfortunately, the men that I chose to find that father figure in were not good, mm-hmm. but at least they loved me for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was 20 years old, and I found out that I was pregnant again, and I was already a single mom of a two-year-old, mm-hmm. and I already my life was in trouble. I knew that. Um, I knew that I could not raise another child, and I knew that... I could not carry that child to term and then give it away. I didn't feel like that was an option for me. I would have had to give up alcohol and smoking, and that was never going to happen at that point in my life. So I just knew that to have another child and to carry it to term, Mm -hmm. that baby would have more issues than Mm -hmm. if I just got rid of it, basically, and that's exactly what I did. Yeah, yeah. 
great picture of what I mean. <laughs> the circumstances leading up to it. Mm-hmm. For me, um, I was actually 21 years old because I did not need um, permission. I remember that. So um, I had actually graduated from high school early, and I moved up to Minneapolis from where I lived in Illinois. And I had my own apartment, and I was working. I had quit college at that point in time, and um, I was in a relationship with... um, a young man that I had been in this relationship for four years, so we were very steady. Um, But he was still in college, and I was working, and I didn't have any money and barely making ends meet. Um, Speak up a little louder. And uh, barely making ends meet. And so I found out I was pregnant. We had been taking precautions, and maybe that's a whole other subject that isn't good, but... We were, because I knew that we were not at a point in our life when we could raise a child and take care of a child properly. And um, I also felt that I just was not the type of person that could um, carry a child to term and give it up for adoption. Um, What was the fear behind it, or what do you think would have happened? Um, I just would have always um, wondered where that child was, and I knew that that would be harder for me mm-hmm. than knowing that that baby was not, that did, that baby didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's where I was. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, everybody's saying the sound is quiet. <laughs> so we'll have to remember to speak loudly. Um, Gina, can you talk about if there are any factors that make someone high risk? Um, if there's kind of a population or a trend among people who tend to go in for an abortion? Sure. I find it interesting that both were in their young 20s or mm-hmm. the, you know, 20 to 24 mm-hmm. is the number one age group for termination. Mm-hmm. And people often think it's teens, but mm-hmm. that's actually the fourth group. It's 20 to 24, 25 to 30 year old, 30 and over, mm-hmm. and then teens. Mm-hmm. So it's actually young adults mm-hmm. that are more apt to terminate. Um, we can talk about why teens uh, don't as often, but it has to do with their um, a little bit of irrational thinking still at that age of not understanding the full responsibility of having a child. Yeah. And in the 20s, that's becoming more clear and um, tends to lead to that a little bit more. What we do find is that there's no specific background that lends itself to being in an unwanted pregnancy and choosing termination mm-hmm. because basically any woman of childbearing age can find herself in a situation during life, during her reproductive years, that she suddenly does not, for whatever reason, think it's a good time to have that child. Mm-hmm. So we do have our target market as far, and I hate saying that, but <laughs> as far as the age group that terminates the most, mm-hmm. but um, 
get really the background, you'd think that it's always people who are having struggles in their life. But it's actually not. Do we see that more? I feel like we do in our ministry and have over the 16 years I've been there. Mm-hmm. But in statistics, if these things just cut across every socioeconomic area and background. Yeah. And a lot of married people, you said, or I yeah. read, because they're already overwhelmed and they have kids already. And so yeah. you know, that's something, too we don't always consider. Like you said, we usually think it's teenagers. Yes, most people think it's teenagers and see it that way, but that's not uh, really at all what we see Mm -hmm. um, across the board. Statistically, across the United States, it's very consistent Mm -hmm. and uh, within our own ministry. Yeah, yep. And then I'll start with the guests, but I know, Gina, you have something to say about this too. Um, can you guys talk about the father of the baby, where he was or what he knew or what his response was? you want to go ahead? Well, for me, um, I never told the father of the baby. I was, um, like I said, heavy into my alcoholic years at that point. And to be totally honest, I'm not even sure who the father is. I don't even know his name. Mm-hmm. So I never felt the need to trace him down. I'm sure I could have by going back to the bars that I associated (laughs) with at that time. But um, I didn't, at that point in my life, I didn't think that he would even be a decent father. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel any need Mm -hmm. to let him know what was going on in my Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Your mom went with you. My mom was my rock through the whole thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. I will talk a little bit more. Can you say um, that? And, and for me, the, the man in my life was my boyfriend, who um, is now, is, is still my husband, is, is my husband, mm-hmm. and has been my husband for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually, we made the decision together. And he took me there and stayed with me and went through all the, the procedure that they would let him go through. And um, and we never shared it with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Gina, will you talk for a minute? I mean, before we talked, it didn't cross my mind about this whole population of men that have feelings and repercussions because they supported or paid for an abortion. Right. Um, They're kind of the silent area often in this topic, and they're the number one influencer of a female's decision, of the woman's decision, Mm -hmm. is the father of the baby if they're involved in the decision-making. They have the most influence in that decision. Parents of a lady making this decision would be next in line, and then parents of the father of the baby. That's kind of how it goes statistically. And the men kind of fall in a couple of categories. Some are just what whatever she says, they're going to support. So mm-hmm. they'll kind of come in saying, you know, I will support her choice. I will support her decision. Mm-hmm. And some will say, um, you know, I don't want this child. I don't want to be trapped. Mm-hmm. I 
you know, I want her to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. And some will say, I don't want her to do this, but I, I get no choice. You know, yes. I, yeah. I don't get to decide this. And so there's, they can be harmed in different ways. Um, kind of depends on their scenario. Mm-hmm. Even when we see post-abortive men, which we do, mm-hmm. see post-abortive men, um, people don't often think about post-abortive men, but they're a piece of the puzzle for sure. Yeah. And they also don't know where to go, who to talk to. They don't feel, mm-hmm. you know, like there's any place for them. Right. But there is, um, within our type of ministry, there definitely is a place for them as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're helping them process because they were a part of it and have great guilt and shame just like a woman can have. Yeah. Or sometimes they feel like they're just devastated because they had no say and wanted their child, but, mm-hmm. you know, the the counterpart of um, his partner decided she did not want to carry and yeah. have a child, so they didn't really get a say in that. So it's very interesting to watch that and see the difference of the male-female in this role. Yeah. One thing we often encourage men to do in this scenario is be very honest with their partner about how they really feel about the pregnancy because we have kind of taught our men to just say I'll support her choice and then they aren't even being honest about their own feelings Mm -hmm. and we would rather have there be honesty whether they feel she should carry or feel she should terminate Mm -hmm. being honest and having that conversation is the best scenario right yep um, so let's talk about who you decided to tell and why, and who were you most scared to tell or didn't tell. <laughs> Do you want to go ahead? Sure. Um, you told the dad first. Yes. Obviously, I told the dad first, but that was it. I mean, that's the, that's the farthest it's gone until today. Mm-hmm. Um, we kept it between ourselves. And we did that because we both felt that we had families that would not support the idea um, that they would be so disappointed in us. And as I go back to when I told you at the beginning, you know, the expectations of my family, I felt that I could not tell them I could not do that to them. Mm-hmm. And that the repercussions would be greater from my family than anyone and the community surrounding my family. And it was back in that time, I don't know if you felt that way, but it was always about what is everybody else going to think? And if there's one thing that I have taught my children that I have now is that it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It matters about your decisions in life and you and the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to live with that. So that so we didn't tell anyone. And my husband's mother was um, a very devoted Christian. And she would not have taken to this well at all. Not just the pregnancy alone would have devastated her. Yeah. 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 And as I was, you know, asking around for people, you know, very politely, hey, if you've ever had an abortion, would you be willing to talk about it? Let me know. <laughs> you know, um, was looking for people who had an experience 
with a church, either positive or negative. And so yours wasn't directly with a church, but your mother-in-law is very religious, and you knew that. Mm-hmm. And so that was the fear of judgment. Absolutely. And you weren't necessarily a part of a church at that time. Um, I was going to church at that time mm-hmm. simply because I already had a two-year-old, and I needed her to know who Jesus was. So for appearances sake, yes, we did go to church. I never told anybody at church. I put on my Sunday best and we walked into church like our life was just all that it could be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I made the decision on my own, being a single mom already. Mm -hmm. But the first person that I told was my mother, um, simply because I knew no matter what my decisions were, she was going to stand behind me and she was going to hold me up. She was going to love me no matter what. Mm-hmm. So I did. I told her first. I did not tell my husband until we'd already been married for, I don't know, 25 years. Because, what led to that? Hmm? What led to that discussion? Um, we were just sitting around in my living room one day. <laughs> and the, my kids were there and they were older, like in their 30s and 40s and um, I was explaining to them who Jesus is and who God is and that we're not perfect and when they when you look at your mom she's perfect okay but when they looked at me I needed them to see that no I'm not perfect I made this huge mistake this huge decision way back when and God has forgiven me for it I know that he's forgiven me for it but it's something that you still live with every single day. Yes. And I I don't need to be judged by anybody because I judge myself mm-hmm. way more than anybody else ever could. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about it, and I talked to my husband about it and told him what happened. And I says, one thing we can never do is let your mother know. See? Because I knew when I got married, she told me that I married her son just to take care of my daughter, who was five years old. Mm-hmm. So I knew if I told her or if she found out that I had an abortion, you know, two years before I married her son, mm-hmm. my life would be hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Plain and simple. It would be, I would be yeah. mud. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very interesting. Um, and then let's talk about after you made the decision and after it happened, how did it impact your life? I know you said you think about it every day. Um, my mom went with me, mm-hmm. um, it, back in the day, <laughs> it was a surgical procedure. There was no pill. Um, you just, you go in, you put a surgical gown on, you lay on a table, you know what's going on all the time you're in there. It's mm-hmm. not like they knock you out and three days later you get to wake up and all is good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, instantly what you did and the regret starts instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point I had totally convinced myself that I had just committed murder, that my life was over. God was never going to love me. Jesus was never going to be part of my life Mm -hmm. because back then that was a big sin. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a major thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I went home from the, the clinic Mm -hmm. because you go home the same day Mm -hmm. and my mom took my daughter, thank God. And um, I laid in bed for the next three days and cried. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And I still think about it. I know that in August 14th of every year, Mm -hmm. this child, I don't know if it was a boy or a girl, and how old they would be at that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have lived with that my whole entire life. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. I know I'm forgiven, and I know that Jesus loves me, and I know that I'm a child of God, Mm -hmm. but in my head, it doesn't ever go away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. What was your life like after? It was very similar to that. Mm-hmm. I um, I think about it all the time, too. And a lot of times I'll think, well, I don't have three kids. I really sort of had four. Mm-hmm. I can remember going to just um, a regular uh, checkup at the doctor, and they, they ask you how many times you've been pregnant. So then mm-hmm. every single time I look at that mm-hmm. and every time I lied. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it always says, how many, how many pregnancies did you have and how many did you carry to term? And I put three, three. Mm-hmm. And so even at that, I had to think about that. And um, a confidential relationship with a doctor, you still feel shame. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And... Um, there's, there's definite guilt. I always have guilt about it. Um, and I always would wonder when I left that clinic from the moment I, I left mm-hmm. is who's going to find out yeah. and when is that going to start? Because I know it, it, it will happen. It's just mm-hmm. something, somebody will say something. Somebody will know somehow. Mm-hmm. But as far as I know, nobody ever did, and I'm still carrying that around as a secret mm-hmm. within my family. Mm-hmm. My parents have passed, mm-hmm. and my husband's mother has passed. His father is still alive. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't even know now that my brothers would even believe me. Mm-hmm. So um, it's yeah. just that stigma, you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, you're supposed to be a good girl, and um, somehow that wasn't being a good girl. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's been a big, big guilt trip until um, until I found Jesus, mm-hmm. and that was a huge awakening for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very cool. Gina, do you have any? Um, do you often see a pattern after women? You know, post-abortive women. Um, like yeah, negative things that happen afterwards? Yeah, we really do. And so I definitely wanted to touch on a few things, um, you know, that have been shared from the very personal stories. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, number one, it's very unusual that a relationship survives an abortion. So that is very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really about somewhere around 8 out of 10 relationships fail mm-hmm. even when the decision was made jointly together both felt like they mm-hmm. came to that conclusion together yeah, went through the process together yeah. and it just has to do with the feelings that they're describing they had after mm-hmm. the abortion itself and the number one feeling after immediately after is relief immediately followed very quickly by deep regret and so those feelings, it's a, it's a grief process like any, any other loss. Mm-hmm. 
And so the grief process can interfere them with the relationship. Mm-hmm. Even when people tell themselves, we'll get through this together, mm-hmm. they very rarely do. Mm-hmm. And what we tend to see are relationship issues yeah. are really common, bonding issues, bonding with other children that they have or subsequent children mm-hmm. can be uh, a little more difficult mm-hmm. because there's almost that guilt of I maybe shouldn't get to enjoy that child mm-hmm. because I terminated a child. So mm-hmm. that um, that can really weigh into that parenting relationship. Mm-hmm. We see high rates, uh, over 80% will have a chemical dependency mm-hmm. or mental health issue, whether it's mm-hmm. anxiety, mm-hmm. some depression, mm-hmm. um, you know, the flashbacks, the anniversaries that are being talked about, always knowing when those anniversaries are, even if it's just you, mm-hmm. and waiting a very, very, very long time to talk with others about it or to seek um, a healing ministry or healing help to work through that grief process finally, mm-hmm. you know, to really work through that and um, the study we use is called Forgiven and Set Free for a Reason mm. because these ladies have achieved that, but there's a lot of ladies who haven't yet achieved that. Mm. They're still carrying that daily weight. Mm-hmm. And so they think about it daily. You know, they're holding that secret, mm-hmm. wondering who will find out and when and how. And that's a, a big burden. Yeah. To carry when you have, you know, some great deep secret that right. makes you fearful mm-hmm. that others will find out. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see often for quite a while a, a hesitancy to deal with God because of the fearfulness right. of will God really forgive me? Mm-hmm. This sin is more egregious than anything else in their mind, mm-hmm. not scripturally. Mm-hmm. That is not what scripture says. Mm-hmm. That's what we tell ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. that's what women will think is this is such an egregious sin. It can't be forgiven by God. Mm-hmm. So they tend to pull away from that relationship, even if they had it prior. Mm-hmm. They don't lean into that. They tend to lean away from that. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't have it, they can tend to, you know, really avoid finding it because of all of the feelings that are mixed up in this huge decision they made mm-hmm. that, you know, walks with them daily. Yeah. Oh, I learned so much. <laughs> so interesting. Um, I want to ask about anything specific, scriptures, songs, books. You brought some books mm-hmm. um, that helped get you through. I think your mom was kind of the main mm-hmm the main person. Is there anything else? Any resources or even um, that at the time, but since then? Well, at the time, no. It was just my mom mm-hmm. and, of course, alcohol. <laughs> um, I didn't, I stopped drinking when my son was two, so it's been a long time. But um, I didn't feel like the church that I was attending at that time, that it I couldn't walk in there and just talk to somebody mm-hmm. about what was going on in my life because I knew I would be judged mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be told that it's going to be okay. Jesus is going to, is going to love you no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I joined a church, a Baptist church <laughs> and of all things, <laughs> 
And the pastor stood on the stage every single Sunday telling me, telling us that we're down here and God's up here and we're never going to get there. And it got to the point where if I'm never going to get there, yeah. why am I trying so hard? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I'm never going to have that relationship, why? Why am I doing this? So right. I didn't feel comfortable telling anybody at that church that I was even depressed, let alone had an abortion. Right. Um, but I think since then, as my relationship with Christ has grown and coming to New Hope and making friends and listening to what's going on and reading Jesus books in the morning and daily bread, I've come to the conclusion that I don't care what my sin was. That's my past and I don't live there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, like Pastor Berg said, my luggage is in heaven, and that is where it's going to stay. So no matter what happened between here and now, I live in heaven, and I know that I was forgiven for what I did. Now all I have to do is forgive me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. I feel very similar to that. First of all, I we're all sinners, every single one of us, and... And the rating of sin, I think, was probably um, one of the hardest things for me to to overcome. Mm-hmm. And um, so actually, I stayed away from church. I didn't feel that I deserved God's love. And I certainly would never have spoken to anybody at, at church of all places anyway mm-hmm. about it if I hadn't even told my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as I said earlier, I just carried around this burden of guilt. And um, I had a lot of anxiety as well. And I think what I tried to do to overcome some of that is I tried to be, with the children then that I had after that, to be the best mom that I could. Yeah, Because I actually... And I don't know if you felt this way, but I actually was so surprised that Christ let me have other children. Mm-hmm. He gave me another chance. Mm-hmm. And, um, sorry. Um, so that, so I was so thankful for that. And so I've tried to be, you know, the best mother that I could. Um, and I, and I finally forgave myself, and um, because I knew I knew that um, that Jesus did. He died for my sins mm-hmm. and your sins and everybody else's sins. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I repented, and he he gave me grace. So, in that, I'd like to read um, a psalm that on uh, forgiveness that I think is sort of fitting to where we are here tonight. It's a little bit long, sorry, but I didn't feel like I could cut it at any other spot. So Which one is it? It is Psalm 51, 1 through 15, and it reads, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion 
It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And, and Kelly, if I could just jump in here. Yes. Um, I just love the verses she just read. They're so yeah. perfect because... You know, uh, it's true that post-abortive women don't need judgment because they typically are judging themselves Mm -hmm. tremendously. Mm -hmm. I know even when sometimes in life we might hear or see things where we think, well, there are women who've had abortions who feel really good about it. They don't have any any concerns over it and so on and I just want to say that when you get in a room alone with a post-abortive woman her story quickly changes mm-hmm. it becomes much different than maybe what's given in public mm-hmm. because they're now in private and they're in a place typically in our place where they're safe mm-hmm. you know we are not there to pass judgment or do any such thing mm-hmm. and so they feel safe and they get more real about the pain that they've been in mm-hmm. And um, I, I really hope that we as Christians can remember that Scripture is pretty clear that sin is sin, mm-hmm. all, all sin is sin. Mm-hmm. And we don't really like that as humans because we want to make ourselves feel better about what our sin is versus someone mm-hmm. else's sin. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that Christ came to be the equalizer mm-hmm. for all of our sin because mm-hmm. it is equal at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. And God says he is righteous and he cannot tolerate one tiny bit of it. Mm-hmm. And so we all need Christ equally mm-hmm. as the bridge between us and a righteous holy God. Mm-hmm. And that is not typically how we can make some people feel depending on what the sin is mm-hmm. in their world. Mm-hmm. And that helps us to feel better as humans. But it's really not... Um, you know, a Christian response to someone who's had a very painful thing in their life. So I hope that we can all kind of work on that Mm -hmm. as Christians, because Mm -hmm. we do see a lot of people who don't talk to their church, who don't want to involve anyone, who are hiding from the very people who should be able to gather around them if they're in a church body. Mm -hmm. And that study and those statistics you were quoting, Kelly, that Mm -hmm. CareNet 
um, made sure we all were fully aware of that at a conference several years ago because we really need to help the churches. Yeah. Um, and we're a CareNet affiliate, which means, you know, they're, they're, they help us with training and structure and all that. Mm-hmm. And we really needed to understand that this is not a problem outside of the church. This is a problem across all levels, whether yes. church or on church. Mm-hmm. And so we as Christians have a responsibility to come up with a better response to these types of situations right. and being helpful. Yep. Yep. So we're at 53 minutes <laughs> already. Um, Gina, I have written down from when you and I talked um, that you talked about not pushing your agenda when you meet with somebody that you ask open-ended questions, like instead of saying, yeah. you wouldn't really get an abortion, would you? That you say, what do you know about abortion? Or what, right. what are your thoughts? So if you want to speak right. to some of those you know, positive ways that a Christian could respond. And then I'll ask the ladies too, um, the same thing, you know, what would they recommend to someone, a Christian woman, how to respond? And then too, if there's anything they'd like to share with someone who is questioning this decision or has also, you know, experienced this. Yeah, I think the difficult part is we don't really know how to respond. We're not really sure what to say if somebody comes to us and says, hey, I'm in this situation and I think I need to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. And we don't really know what to say or what to ask. Mm -hmm. And open-ended questions are great. You need to hear her. You need to hear what's going on in her world and why Mm -hmm. this feels like an answer at that moment. We're responding usually to circumstances that change and circumstances change quickly, mm-hmm. and fear can drive decisions that uh, carry long-term consequences. So we want to ask those open-ended questions. We're not trying to place, you know, here's what we want you to do on anyone. Mm-hmm. And that can be a bit counterintuitive sometimes as people come in and mm-hmm. work with us. But you have to understand where this woman is at Mm -hmm. and what are her barriers to carrying a child and why Mm -hmm. and what does that mean in her world? Mm -hmm. And, you know, are those overcomable? Are there things that can be done to help her overcome those barriers Mm -hmm. in a real way? You know, not some make-believe, hey, just just get over it and have this baby. That doesn't (laughs) really help her. so open-ended questions, what do you know about abortion? How much have you researched it? Who have you talked to? Um, you know, how can I be helpful to you? Can we look at some resources and get more information? Um, but making sure that you're not saying things like, well, you would never do that, right? You're a Christian. Or, you know, just if we react out of emotion to the person, we're likely going to say something that's not very helpful. We don't need it that way. It's just human nature. Mm-hmm. And so slowing down, think about it beforehand, maybe get some information. So if it ever happens, you feel like I'm prepared to respond. Mm-hmm. Come and talk to us. Let us help you. Yeah. Um, bring someone to us. Let us help is what we do and train for consistently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're really there to help walk that person through this life crisis and yeah. decision-making. Yeah. Um, it is a challenging scenario. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have anything about um, advice, how people could have responded to you or what would have been a helpful response? 
from a Christian person? Well, I think if I would have known the resources that were out there at that point, I, I guess now I can look back and say, yeah, if someone would have been there for me and the resources would have been there. But that wouldn't have changed my life situation. I don't know at that point if anybody could have said anything to me that would have made me change my mind. But I think if I would have had the support of a Christian woman to let me know that, okay, you had the abortion, now let's just move on from there, and God's still going to love you, still going to forgive you, I think it would have eased the guilt and the tension and the hurt that took years to get over. Yeah. I think that we all need to remember that none of us can walk in somebody else's shoes. We have no idea what their life is or how they handle their life or what their circumstances are. Um, and, and that goes for everything in life, not just abortion, but addiction and anxiety and fear and anything. Um, and just maybe just being a little gentler and a little kinder and open to somebody else's problems and listening to them is would be helpful, knowing that. Um, and in that, I'd like to read one more little section. Um, this is out of one of my favorite morning friends, Jesus Calling, for anybody that maybe um, doesn't know about it, if you're... If you're new to spirituality, maybe you don't know about it, but I read this every morning almost, and I reread it because it always seems new. So in remembering what I just said, it says, Remember that there is no condemnation for those who belong to me. You have been judged not guilty for all eternity. Trust me and don't be afraid, for I am your strength, song, and salvation. Yeah. Awesome. That's the name of the of the day is neither do I condemn you. <laughs> the name of the topic. Um, do you have anything to say to women who are considering considering having an abortion or if not that's I, okay. I wish I would have got more information about the actual, even down, right down to the procedure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all, you sign this paper, we take you in, we're done. Um, to know at that point what my resources were, what could I have done? Maybe if, you know, looking back on it, maybe if I would have had someone that I could confide in that would tell me mm-hmm. what my resources were, maybe I would have stopped drinking a whole lot sooner mm-hmm. or, Maybe I would have become a member of a church a whole lot sooner than I did, and I would know that God was part of my life and not something that I'd just take off a shelf and use when I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think that if you're questioning whether you should have an abortion or not or whether you've had an abortion and now you don't know what to do with yourself, I think you need to search out people and that have the resources, the knowledge, and are gentle enough to say, you know what, I love you no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I can totally relate to where you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just say that um, for anyone considering it, 
to, to think, don't take it lightly, think about it very, very hard. But in the end, you have to do what you're the most comfortable with yourself and put aside what you think anybody else is going to think of you. Mm-hmm. And to remember that Jesus loves you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you do do you find that providing ultrasounds is a big a big thing that informs decisions? Yeah, unfortunately today with technology that we have, it's a little different um, in that decision making process. What I've heard the most from most supportive women are two things that I've consistently heard, and you ladies can tell me if you felt that way too, but one was nobody ever told me what I was going to go through that day. No one explained to me what I would go through that day for that procedure. You know, we're we're very careful to do that in most surgical procedures or medical procedures. You meet, you go over it, you talk, they talk through what they're going to do. And that does not happen in abortion. And so the woman is not prepared unless she's had one before. And the other thing is that um, no one ever told me what my baby looked like at eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever the stage of the pregnancy was. And so later they learn what that looked like or what fetal development was, and then that's very disconcerting and shocking to them. And so education and information is key, and ultrasound allows us to really give them that actual visual, it's less abstract and now it's concrete that this is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Because early in pregnancy, it feels more like it's um, a crisis, a decision, et cetera. And in the end, we're really talking about a little uh, human baby. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. most post-war women didn't feel like they really got that. Mm-hmm. At most abortion facilities today, they do do ultrasound prior to the procedure to check size and dating for mm-hmm. to do an appropriate procedure for how far along a woman is. Yeah. What they don't typically do is allow them to see the ultrasound screen even when a woman asks. That still occurs. They mm-hmm. sometimes have to really push to see the screen. Mm-hmm. And so having that information is key. You are making a long-term decision that can affect you your whole life mm-hmm. and it certainly will in some capacity. And so having all of that information is very important in making that decision mm-hmm. for a woman. And some can feel a, a bit duped and lied to when they find out things later that they mm-hmm. weren't told specifically. Yeah. So it's very important to have good information. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll start to wrap up. And you kind of touched on what my last question was going to be, is if anything good came out of this. And you said it, it impacted, you know, wanting to be a better mother to your next Absolutely, it did. Um, Yes. Yeah, which is a great thing. Did you have any positives come out of your experience? Um, I think it also worked for me that I wanted to be a better parent for my Mm two-year-old. And then when I got married and found out that I was pregnant again, I was elated. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like, wow, you know, after what I've been, what I did, mm-hmm. God's still going to bless me with another child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had my son. Yeah. Aww. 
Beautiful. <laughs> Very cool. And I think the other thing that any post-war woman has, Kelly, to offer through that experience is great compassion for another woman in it. Yes. And who's gone through it. Yeah. And I think that's a key part of post-abortion healing and ministry mm-hmm. is having a, an actual post-abortive woman mm-hmm. working with that post-abortive person because mm-hmm. they understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was said earlier, you can't understand unless you walk in mm-hmm. those shoes. And that's true for any serious life trauma or decision. Right. If you've never actually walked through that, mm-hmm. every person situation is a little different, of course. They're not all mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. But um, you have a basic understanding of what the other person's been through. Yeah. And that's a key part of being helped. Yeah. And I'll just plug, you are looking for somebody, I think, to lead. We are. A study yeah, or a have, small group. Yeah, we love to have a post woman who leads that. And, you know, that rolls over and changes from time to time. And right now we could really use a post-sport woman willing to do training. Mm-hmm. So we do have training requirements and, and so on before they would, you know, go into that kind of a role. Mm-hmm. But we are looking for someone who would be interested in working with us, going through some training and volunteering to lead um, post-sport healing. Mm-hmm. Because it is key that we have a healed post-abortive woman yeah. who is a Christian doing that. Yeah. It's um, vital to have someone who's walked that road mm-hmm. um, working with healing women. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, well, I told these ladies to bring their coffee mugs, and I got no coffee mugs. I got, show me what you brought. My steady bottle of water. One's got a bottle of water. Iced tea. <laughs> we got an iced tea, and I'm the only coffee mug. And I showed this the first discussion that we did that I accidentally deleted and could kick myself. <laughs> but it says, whatever is good to know is difficult to learn. Mm-hmm. And that's a Greek proverb, so I tell that to my daughter who are homeschooling now. You know, quite the task. If it's good to know, it's difficult to learn. So, <laughs> Gina, do you have a, a coffee mug to share with us? I do, and I was excited to get to, to bring mine. It says, it says that I'm chosen, oh. and that's um, really important to me, and I have scripture on the back. Mm-hmm. And it's my favorite one simply because I want everyone to remember that we are all chosen by God. There mm-hmm. is no one mm-hmm. who's not able to come to God, mm-hmm. and there, there is no unforgivable sin. Mm-hmm. Other than blasphemy and the Holy Spirit, but we won't go there in this Bible study. Um, but, you know, there is, there is no unforgivable, and we are each chosen. We all have a past. We all have a history. We all have things. And I just want everyone to remember that God chooses each one of us, no matter what that is. He is the God of all. He's the great healer, the great physician. He is the one that heals the brokenhearted, who binds up the wounded and heals the brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. And he will do that for you no matter what your story is. Mm-hmm. And there are people out there like us at the center who have all the time in the world to sit with you and hear your story and help you no matter what that story is. Mm-hmm. Amen. Right. Amen. Right. Yeah. And then here at New Hope too, you know, I would love to sit with you and talk with you. Um, I think these two guest ladies would be happy to, to talk with you, too. Um, and then we have Pastor Wendy, who's on staff. We have 
Sue who's on staff. We have Sarah who's on staff. Um, if you want to meet with one of the other male pastors, you know, we do that type of, of meetings too. Um, so we are here for you. If you reach out on social media of any kind, it comes right to me. Um, so if you have questions or need resources, um, please do that. Please don't feel like you're a burden. You know, I love connecting people, meeting their need with a resource. So, um, let me know how I can help. And then we're going to put a a link in the comments. And if you're listening on a podcast, you can go back and listen to my instructions of how to get on right now media. Um, but that's a really important resource that we really value that we promote. There's all kinds of videos and, and Bible studies there, um, parenting, marriage, all kinds of stuff. So we really promote that too. Um, but we're going to pray and then let you guys go to bed. <laughs> all right. Father God, we thank you so much that we can call you father. We know that you are holy and you are high above, but you also come down to our level and you say that we are your child. And so we're just so grateful. Um, It's because of your son that we can do that. So we just praise you and say thank you so much for loving us, for choosing us, for being there to support us. And I just pray that you would show each one of us who are listening the ways that we can best support women in this situation, that we can love each other. Uh, and that we can point people to you no matter what their situation is. And so we just give you all the praise and the thanks for this evening. And um, yeah, just be with us as we go. In your name, amen. Amen.